For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subchuck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subchuck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome to a special episode of Revolution Recap. We've got an interview today with former Revolution defender Francis Saccaro, who was a two-time New England Revolution Defender of the Year, played for the Revs during their inaugural season, and won an MLS Cup with the Chicago Fire, as well as a U.S. Open Cup with the Chicago Fire. He is now the head coach of the Emanuel College women's soccer team. I'm Sean Donahue, and on the interview, I'm joined by my co-host, Greg Johnstone. Before we jump into that interview, I wanted to quickly shout out to our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts also quickly wanted to mention Galaco kits where you can get unique vintage jerseys and you can save 15 percent off those by using code revs recap at checkout that's revs recap at checkout at Galaco kits to get unique vintage soccer jerseys um, one other quick mention i want to mention our friends at the new england rebellion the rebellion is hosting a foot golf tournament with a portion of the proceeds going to breast cancer awareness on October 7th. And you can sign up for that now. There's only a few spots remaining, but check out their website at anyrebellion.org and check them out on Twitter at anyrebellion. Also, of course, as always, check out our friends at the Blazing Musket for the best revs coverage. And with that, uh, we'll play the interview. Today, joining us on Revolution Recap, we have two-time New England Revolution Defender of the Year and an MLS Cup and U.S. Open Cup winner with the Chicago Fire, Francis Acaro. Francis, you're now Emmanuel College women's head soccer coach. How, how are things going? Things are going great so far. Um, I'm about to start my third year at, at Emmanuel, so you know we're excited about upcoming season. Actually, we, we get together today and start practicing tomorrow. Well, that sounds great. And we'll talk a little bit about your coaching career um, towards the end of the interview. But we wanted to get some background to you on you and uh, how you got into soccer. Uh, I know originally you are from Nigeria. Um, how did you get into the sport? Did you play soccer growing up? Um, and when did you first come to the United States? Um, I came in um, 1983. I was the first time I came and um, but before I came I played um, a lot of soccer in Nigeria um, so soccer is like a religion back home um, I probably started playing as early as either three or, or four years old uh, our dad played and um, it's a thing to do you know in addition to going to school but 
football was uh, definitely a priority to, to most people in, in Nigeria. Did your dad play professionally? I didn't know your dad played soccer. Where did he play professionally? No, he didn't play professional. Then that day, the, the highest they played was in Nigeria and, and the national team. That was it. And we, our generation, we were, we were the ones that were lucky to uh, come out and play professional in, in, in Europe. Gotcha. And you said you came to the United States for college. You went to Boston University in the 80s. Um, how did you decide on coming to the United States and coming to Boston University specifically? Well, uh, I wanted to be a doctor. So um, New England, obviously, Boston in particular, is the mecca of uh, medical stuff. So that was, it was easy pick for me, easy choice. So I, I came here to do that. But uh, Unfortunately, which I don't regret, um, I couldn't mix that with football and, you know, missing a lot of practices because of a lab band and stuff like that. So I, I had to make a quick decision, but it wasn't a decision. It was just like transferring from here to here. So, yeah, I, I decided just to take, pick on business. And that's what I did. And. You know, at the time you were at Boston University, the N, uh, the North American Soccer League, they folded um, right while you were there. So it was kind of a downtime for professional soccer in the United States. Uh, you obviously had a very successful career at uh, Boston University. But um, while all that was going on, uh, what were you thinking at the time as far as playing soccer professionally? Was that kind of a thought for you? I know you said you went to, to become a doctor. Did you have any aspirations about playing professional soccer at that time? Oh, yeah. So always, always was the goal. Um, I, uh, I, uh, when I was in school, I wanted to finish. That's, that was priority one. And then knowing fully well there was no professional league ongoing. The next bet for me was Europe. I was going to, I was going to go to Europe. Uh, but I, you know, for me, the way I was brought up, it's one thing at a time. So I had to finish school. And once I finished, the closest to real professional soccer was uh, the indoor league, the MISL, which I was drafted by Cleveland. And I did that for about a year and a half. Uh, indoor wasn't necessarily my bread and butter. My shoot, I didn't like indoor. So, uh, you know, I made my way to Europe. What did you not like specifically about the indoor? Was it just the different rules? You just like kind of the traditional form of the game or what was um, it? I'll say all of the above. I mean, <laughs> the way I played those days, you know, I like to express myself. Indoor doesn't give you that. Um, it's it's more or less like a hockey thing where you can't stay there past a minute or, you know, you got to come out and shift the thing. I, you don't really establish your rhythm. And so I, I mean, it's, it's probably good for most people, but it wasn't for me. I, I, I just, I needed, you know, you just, if you start a game, you know, an outdoor game, you need about 10, 15 minutes to get warmed up and then the rest, you start going. But that, that wasn't the same rhythm or pattern when you do indoors. Yeah. So um, between indoor soccer, you, look, you were with Cleveland uh, in 1987, eight, 1988. Um, yeah. The revolution obviously didn't start playing until about eight years later. So talk yeah. about your career between Cleveland and the Revs. Um, what did you do in those eight years uh, to keep playing? I was in Belgium for five years of those eight. Um, I, 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 I came back... Uh, 
uh, right before the World Cup started, in like early 90s, came back. Um, I, 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 I was waiting just in case uh, I get a transfer. I wanted to go to France. It, um, but back then, uh, I forgot what they call it. Uh, the, the, uh, there was a rule then where either you sit out a year to get your freedom. I forgot what they call it. And it will come back to me. But I, I, I wanted to do that. If, if you don't come in agreement with your club team in terms of transfer, and if, if that doesn't work, then you sit out a year and then you move on. Bold, Boldman rule or something like oh, that. The Bosman rule, yeah. Yes, yes. So that was um, what you know got me to come back here because uh, my, my, my team wouldn't uh, compromise or accept the transfer situation. So that was that. So when I came back here, it was time for a World Cup. Um, 93, they started assembling the national team. I wasn't a part of it until I got injured. And then obviously 94, it started here. And um, I know you played for a few teams uh, before the Revs as well. Um, the Lowell Blues, the Boston Storms, uh, the, the Cape Cod Crusaders. Um, talk about those teams and kind of the level of play, because um, obviously that is all pre-MLS. Um, right. What was your experience playing with those teams? Oh, it was awesome, especially the Laza, the Laza League. You know, but Laza, Laza League was uh, the equivalent, uh, you know, in, in relative, relative terms, the equivalent with the MLS right now. Um, it was the only outdoor league that really mattered in the country. You got, you got them all over the place. And you got a lot of uh, former players, uh, you know, that were in it. So it, it was was a strong league. And I enjoyed it because, you know, obviously for the competition. But in by no means was it exactly like MLS. I'm just saying that that's all we had then. So it was our version of MLS. And, you know, a lot of the semi-pro teams all, all over the place, like um, Cape Cod Crusaders and stuff like that. You know, but, you know, it's just for us to keep ourselves going until something bigger comes up. And, and how did the opportunity to sign for the Revs come up? Obviously, you weren't part of their squad at the beginning of the season, but I believe you joined in, in July. Um, you were playing for the Cape Cod Crusaders. How, how did they find you? How did that interest come? Well, it wasn't really finding me. They, they knew who I was, but um, because I, I sat out um, for almost a year, they, they wanted me to keep to train with Cape Cod so that I can get my fitness up before I could join. So it was, it was a pre-arrangement. I would do this, and then immediately uh, they test me and say that the, my fitness is up to par. They bring me in, so that was easy decision. I uh, I knew who was uh, coaching me at that point. I believe his name was Roger, some English guy. So he also knows a lot, a thing or two about professional. So you know, he came in and helped me out in terms of training. You know, obviously I was training and playing games with them, but um, the goal was uh, as soon as I was ready. You know, obviously, I didn't want to come in and not be able to uh, express myself. Uh, so I, um, I I did what I had to do in terms of getting fit, um, you know, and playing games. And then I, I came um, when I was ready. And uh, luckily, I came in at a good time. And then the rest was history. 
I have a, a quick uh, follow-up question on that because we talked to Ted Kronopoulos a few years ago and he talked about um, MLS tryouts and he, he kind of described the process as like two or three days and no one really knew what was going on and all the coaches were looking at you. Uh, and it sounds like you had kind of a connection and the Revs always intended on signing you and bringing you in. Did you have to try out for the Revs at all? How, how did that connection kind of happen? Did you have to go through uh, kind of the MLS tryouts and stuff like that or, or how, how did you get connected with the team? Um, uh, I, I wouldn't say, I, 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 okay, I would say, you can say try out, but it wasn't really try out, try out. I did try out for, you know, MLS was supposed to start in 95. That was, that was the initial date. So, be, because they couldn't get their act together and put things together, they moved it now to uh, 96. So, but while we were waiting, right after World Cup, which was 94, 95, yes, they had this national tryout. I went to a couple. I went to one in the Plymouth Mass where they organized it. A lot of folks showed up, you know, and that's when after tryouts, if you make it, they bring your name and then you're invited to another center. I believe the next one was in California, you know, but but that was that. And maybe after those two, they realized, okay, um, that maybe they, they, they have to pick me up or something like that. But with refs, yes, I did. I mean, I'm a, I consider myself a hometown guy. Everybody knew knew who I was, um, so it wasn't really much of a trial. Like I said, uh, it was an arrangement that I, once I get fit, that you know I just come in and then prove. And so, in a way, you could say trial. My trial was for one day, you know, and you know, and then the, the rest was history. I mean, but you could say trial. What was that inaugural season like with the Revs, you know, being part of them kind of at the, not quite at the beginning, but pretty close to the beginning? Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, you know, I, I, I take pride in uh, playing for hometown team. So I was very happy about that. You know, and pretty much everyone knew who I was. Um, my my old friends from Laza, you know, they all there. They, you know, they were happy that um, one of their own is playing. I mean, it, it was great. It's good to play in front of your fans, your, your family and friends. Um, now, for as for the team, uh, yeah, like Ted, Chronopolis, and the rest of them, um, that uh, they were happy to have me on board, and uh, it, it, we were. It was good. It's it's good to be a, a pioneer, so to speak. You know, a part of something fresh. And you know, just a couple of years ago, Frank Stapleton came out um, with with an interview where he kind of didn't seem to be too happy with how that first season went for him and talked about having clashes with Alexi Lawless a lot that first year. Do you, do you recall any of that? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Frank was uh, one of my, you know, I'll, I'll say best friends and coach as well. But the thing is, when you play in Europe and then you come to a brand new stop like MLS, uh, expectations are high, but you're never going to get it at that time. You know, um, so Frank was in that area where a lot of time was spent on the outside stuff that were not soccer stuff. So, you know, it, you know, Lex, Lex at that time was the face of uh, U.S. soccer. So he was involved with a lot of uh, commercial and stuff like that, you know, and maybe Frank thought um, his game was soccer. So it didn't it didn't um, it didn't go too well with him, but that was frustration on his part. So he was it's 100. He was frustrated year one, and I, I understood why. And you, you could tell he wasn't going to hang around for long. 
it, you know, the Revs finished last in the East that season. It, it seemed like it was a little bit of a difficult year for, well, at least for, at least for Frank, it was a little bit of a difficult year. What, do you, was that a difficult first season for the team, kind of with how everything went? Was there, you know, any more clashes in the locker room with other guys, or how, how was that that first season? Um, yes, it was a difficult season, but it wasn't. There wasn't. It wasn't infighting, so to speak. But what it was was for me the, the way I I figured it out was there was an imbalance on the team. You know, it was a, it was a brand new uh, league, and yeah, you know, the goal at that point was to get the league going. So you you probably had some players that probably didn't belong there, uh, uh, but and then you have a lot of players that belong there. So you're just looking for that balance and you know for anything brand new you're going to go through the testing period and you know it wasn't only refs that were having a problem year one you know you had other teams um you know guys like dc united they they they, they were stacked they got themselves all, all the guys that played for bruce arena so it was easier to get that going you know la was stacked you know so it was it was it was it was what it was supposed to be, you know. A fresh league, you're gonna go through your growing pains. So I consider those as growing pains. But I mean, right after year one, year two, everybody knew exactly what to do, and things changed. And how did you get the nickname the General? I know you were called that when you're on the Revs. Like, I don't know if you had that nickname before that, or if that came during the time with the Revs. No, it came with the time when I was with the refs. I mean, the name uh, probably what I was told uh, is, is the way I played, and I, I, I try to uh, I control things and I help out, and then, uh, I guess that's what generals do. So uh, I, I forgot who you know. And they started, they started calling me that. And I said, okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> It, you, you know, you played 121 games in MLS, never scored a goal, but I know you participated in, in at least one of the crazy old shootouts that the league used to have. Do you, do you, do you remember you know, playing in those, those shootouts when the league didn't want to have ties? And, and what were kind of your thoughts on the old MLS shootout versus the traditional traditional shootout that we generally see now? Um, actually, I wish they bring the, that shootout back. I did score in that one. It was my debut uh, against Dallas Burns. That's what they were called in. Uh, and, and he was right here in Foxborough. Um, we had a little rain delay. And then uh, when the rain cleared, we played, uh, I think it was 1-1, and then Shurad would beat him. And I actually scored the last one. I like that because it obviously excites the fans. And um, um, the, the, uh, the excitement, and the, the, I think I believe it's five-second rule and stuff like that. I mean, I mean it was was it was good then I, I wish they still had it because then teams won't play for draw how did things change during the second season when thomas rongan took over as, as head coach how, how was that kind of compared to the first year and obviously you know made the playoffs that year as well well yeah like i said you get that and then you get some better players in so it, it, the dynamics started changing uh, thomas rongan also he knew the the, the area of football in America, he knew that because he was just coming from uh, Tampa, I believe. So if uh, there was a lot of familiarities, he knew the league. It, not that Frank didn't know the league, but Thomas was involved with many aspects of uh, the previous leagues as well. So yes, well, we got some you know uh, better players, a, a, a few veteran players as well that were good. So it, it kind of helped to uh, bring uh, all the other young players uh, up to speed. You know, and, and he breeds confidence. And then you started winning. And obviously, winning kills a lot of stuff. 
What was it like playing with legendary Italian keeper Walter Zinga behind you in goal? <laughs> Walter, Walter's crazy dude, but very nice. <laughs> you know, I am good friends. I'm always very good friends with all my goalies, and I've been fortunate to play with fantastic goalies. You know, uh, Walter, one of them. Uh, I don't know if you remember um, Jorge Campo from Mexico. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've had I've had very very good goals behind me. And, I consider Walter a very good friend, and we still chat occasionally. And it, it helps. You start with a with a, with a back, with a good goalie, very good backs, and then you build your team. So the the foundation was there. You know, not not that my year one. You know, yes, we had goalies, but they were not as experienced as Zenga. Zenga had seen it all. So you know, those were the. Um, the improvement that I was referring to, that you get in better players, things settle, and then everybody started showing really what they can do. And what was it like that season, kind of getting your first taste of the playoffs? I think you got a red card in the in the second leg, but what was what was your first taste of the playoffs like? I obviously it's the goal. I wanted I wanted to um, number one get the hometown to, um, to to taste that, in which was accomplished. You know. The entire atmosphere was clear. Everyone was doing that. You know, we we knew that uh, we had a better team, and then we just we just got to show it. And you know, and the New England fans, whether good or bad, they're going to support you. So, but we wanted to give them something. I, I believe that that year, even year one and year two, that we had the highest uh, attendance for the league. You know, and so it's. It's a, it's a pride thing, and I was very happy to be a part of it, you know, and so hopefully that will help them to forget um, all they had feelings that we had in year one. Were you disappointed at all that, you know, your Alexi Lawless was kind of overshadowed you as a, with his reputation, not his play, where, you know, you were probably the best defender on the team but never earned that all-star nod when, when Lawless did? <laughs> I, I did end one of all-star nod, but uh, in fairness, Lalas and I, we have a very, 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 very good relationship. You know, he, he has a very high respect for me, and I, I, I do respect him as well. But, you know, and on the field, we players know players. You know, um, I, the, in terms of all the other fancy stuff around, uh, it wasn't a big deal for me. I, I have the respect of my peers, and uh, I happen to be... Uh, if not number one, number two fan of the, uh, the supporters. So I I, yeah, I I get joy and pride, and I was recognized for it as well. So at the end of the day, um, the uh, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, you know, I, I I respect, I like what I do, I do for playing, and it's it's important to me that my legacy stands as you know, when they talk about you that. You were a quality person and a quality player, and uh, they were happy to be teammates of yours. And were there any other good stories from those first couple of years that we might not have heard? Well, I don't know if you heard, but uh, the first day I showed uh, I showed uh, up at Revs, uh, Frank Frank was trying to kill me. You know, you know that was part of the trial. The testament he put me against uh, Weldon. I don't know if you guys know the Weldon, uh, yep. the Brazilian. And Weldon was, uh, if not the fastest player in the league. So, Frank, Frank, that's how I gained Frank's respect. Frank put Weldon on me, and that was a drill with Dave. I had to chase Weldon all over the place. 
and uh, Frank, Frank told Weldon, don't do anything, just keep running, move around. So <laughs> that, that was what he told me afterwards, you know, when, when we became friends. He says, yeah, Francis, I was just trying to try you, you know, with this little Irish accent. You know, I said, Frank, thanks a lot. But that, 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 that was funny for me. And it, it helped me out a lot because, it, you know, it brought me back to reality quickly that, um, this is the level right now, and then you have to step up or you step out. And and after winning the Revs Defender of the Year in back-to-back years, was was it a surprise to you that you were left unprotected in the expansion draft when Chicago and Miami were joining the league? Yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was. I was shocked, surprised, but then again, things happen for a reason. Uh, you know, I, I believe that uh, when is your time? Is your time? So. Uh, I, I, they left me unprotected, but, you know, which I, I found out uh, maybe a day. And then uh, Bob Bradley at that time was assistant at um, DC United. So he got the Chicago job, obviously. I've played, I've played uh, many, 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 many times against Bob Bradley, you know, the refs and uh, DC United. So uh, he knows me. You know, it, it, it's, it's funny, but... It, at that time, it wasn't funny because uh, I wanted to be one of the reasons that uh, the refs win the MLS. And uh, I, I didn't get that chance. But, you know, I had to go to the next station. And they, they lit the fire at me. And uh, the rest was history. What was it like uh, playing for Bob Bradley? Obviously, a coach that went on to have a, a lot of success with the U.S. national team and, and kind of throughout the world. Well, Bob, Bob, Bob is a great coach. You know, it's... Bob was one of my three top coaches that I have ever played for ever. Uh, uh, not only that, but Bob's a great person. Uh, but you all, you have all, to be a good player slash a good coach. You you have to have understanding with each other. And Bob has that. He will he will give you all the space you need. You know, when it's time for business, he will he'll be there. So I learned a lot from him. And actually, I got a lot from him in, in preparing me for, for being a coach, you know. So, uh, uh, in as much as you're playing, you, you, you pick up a lot of stuff along the way. And what was that inaugural season in Chicago, like winning both the MLS Cup and Open Cup as an expansion team? It's awesome. It's a, it's a combination of things. One, we had a few veterans, and then you have a few rookies. Now, But what happens was the veterans had a little bit leg up. You know, when you're going to put up a, a, a squad like that, you know, you have to know the pieces you need. You know, um, to, to, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I wasn't going home playing for Chicago like, immediately. Uh, and I, it took some time to convince me because I didn't want to leave my uh, my hometown and stuff like that. You know, but what I did, uh, it was a 100% push forward. And... You know, right away we clicked. Where we had in, in the beginning, Bob wanted to play uh, this, this formation uh, three-five-two, but he, he, you know, if he didn't get me there, he was going to play four-four-two. So it, it all it all depends on personnel. So once once I said yes, and that's what we're going to do, and then we get a, another rookie and then a veteran as well. So it was awesome. I, I I'll never get that experience as well. And I heard when you guys won the Open Cup trophy that the uh, trophy fell apart and you ended up running around the pitch with the with the top of the trophy on your head. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people didn't know this. Um, 
I, I played with a broken reed for about 80% uh, of the season. And uh, we were playing Open Cup, uh, actually, it was in New Orleans against Dallas. And obviously, I managed, I was a slight tackle to make a, a tackle to save a goal. And my goalie then, Zach Taunton, you know, if you know anybody that knows Zach, Zach is a big load, you know. And Zach, Zach all those heavy loads, it was right on my wrist. So that, that, that wasn't fun. I, I, so, but, you know, I enjoyed it, finished it. So I, I, I wear um, like a, a, a bridge to, to, to wrap around my, uh, my, my rib all season. So it wasn't fun, but uh, uh, I was determined. So, yes, I could, because I couldn't lift my arm all the way up with the truck, and then it probably fell, and I just took the top of it and just put it in my head. That would do. <laughs> Uh, so, so you were with Chicago another season after that, and then they traded you to Miami. Were you surprised by that? How did how did that come about? Um, initially, yes, but no, because um, we had a lot of injuries, and for me, um, the guy that was coaching Miami was like gone ho about getting me again. He had a young team there, you know, it, so he was he needed a center back, and we, we played him a lot many times. I forgot his name. Uh, it's, it's a Brazilian guy. So he asked, and then she, Chicago was going to bring in a, a few other younger players. I, I understand the business. It wasn't a problem. So, you know, I, I went to Miami. But the, the thing with Miami was uh, I wasn't I wasn't comfortable playing in a heat. I just I can't play at a place where 6 a.m. is like 12 midday with sun and heat. So I wasn't I wasn't too fond of uh, Miami for that reason. Well, and you mentioned it was it was uh, I think Evo Wartman that brought that brought yeah, you in, but but Evo. but then pretty pretty quickly it became Ray Hudson was the coach there, and he, he's he's obviously earned himself a reputation as a very colorful commentator on soccer. We, we you know we got some stories from from Brian Dunseth about about him playing for him. Uh, what, what was it like playing for for Ray Hudson? Uh, Ray Ray was a character. You know, <laughs> everything you hear or see on telly, that's Ray. You know. Uh, before Ray, because, yeah, Ray took over from me, Ivo or Evo, uh, but Ray wasn't a coach. Ray was a commentator for Miami Fusion, and uh, uh, but I think uh, they fired Ivo. Ivo left in mid-season or something, and um, they couldn't come up with anybody. And so Ray stepped in, and you know it. It was a big change, big shift. But you know Ray knew football, you know, but. Sometimes you know football, but you can't teach it. So it it's either or. But it was what Miami needed at that point, I guess. And then, you know, that's why he didn't stay long because he knew that wasn't his cup of tea. And your your time there didn't last too long. Um, you were traded. I think you were waived. And then the San Jose Earthquakes, I think, picked you up. And then they traded you to the Metro Stars. Um, but you, you weren't with the Metro Stars by the time the season started. What What happened there? No, actually, uh, I I left uh, Miami with uh, mutual consent. I, I I was done with Miami. I, I didn't want to play anymore. I, uh, I I told them, but I, I guess they were trying to uh, get compensated or whatever in the draft or situation like that. So they they you know they did they they wave into Metro Stars. No, I never went to any of those places. I, I was done. So so you knew at that point that you were done playing. I was done. I was done. I, I needed to come on and coach. How, how did you 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Get into coaching. You mentioned you you went from playing and you wanted to get coaching. Um, what did you do next? And um, did you always want to coach when you were playing? It sounds like you you thought about that being your next step. Did you always plan on getting into coaching? Yes. I mean, I did a lot of coaching when I was playing. That's probably one of the reasons I got the nickname General as well. I, I love coaching. You know, uh, it's uh, it's this next step of being a player. You know, um, also. When you go from playing to coaching, it helps you out, you out a lot with the transition of being a, a professional player to coaching. So, you know, uh, instead of uh, going uh, cold turkey and just once you retire, you just sit there, you don't know what to do. Usually gets people in trouble. So, yes, I enjoy coaching. I think it's another aspect of the game that uh, some of us uh, didn't know existed because you were playing, you also know, focused on playing, but uh, I knew I was going to be a coach. And you joined the Boston University coaching staff, I believe in 2008. Um, how did that opportunity come up and um, what was it like returning to your alma mater? Well, the opportunity came up because I put myself in the youth level. You know, that's what I mean. I, I, I wanted to prove, not up to me first, that I can coach. So, I, I came back, I started coaching, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know this club, uh, Boston Bulls. You know, at that point, Bulls was the, the big club, the eight in New England. So I, I became a member of the staff. Uh, and then um, luckily, uh, an old friend of mine, John Kerr, was also there. So, you know, we put our heads together in terms of how uh, we're going to run uh, the men's side. And then uh, I coached there for about five years. Uh, my, my, my record with them will be out there for everyone to see. Um, and then while I was doing that, um, my old coach, uh, Neil Roberts at BU, obviously was also involved with the youth soccer, you know, uh, I believe he's a, a South Shore Blazers or something. You know, I, we, we, we played each other a lot of times. So they realized, you know, obviously that I can coach. So, you know, Invited me back to join the alma mater, which I resisted in the first place because uh, I didn't know how, number one, I feel going back to a coach that my alma mater right, right then. But he convinced me to, you know, I came in, uh, which was good because obviously it was my old stomping ground. So uh, I, I enjoyed the experience. And um, when, um, when this experience at Emmanuel came up, you know, it was no brain. I, 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 I have been coaching youth soccer, it feels like forever, you know. So I took it. Yeah, and, and you mentioned you you were at BU for a long time, uh, and yeah. now you are currently the women's head coach for Emmanuel College. Uh, yeah. How did the opportunity at Emmanuel come up? Well, uh, you know, obviously uh, COVID ruined a lot of stuff, so. There was a little gap in the transition. Uh, uh, Manuel came up, uh, number one, um, 
they they they, they posted the vacancy. You know, um, you know, I saw it, and uh, I asked uh, the men's coach there. It's uh, near Robert's son. His name is Dan Roberts. He, he was coaching there. And, uh, I I said, well, I, you know, I asked him what it was like to coach at that school. You know, because he told me all the good stuff. And I said, okay. So you know, I, I just put my name in the uh, hat, and then uh, you know, the next thing I know, they called me in and interviewed me. You know, asked me uh, the, the the good questions. You know, what's your philosophy and all that stuff. And then um, it was a go. So they offered me this part, and there was no hesitation for me because I wanted to get back in the game, so to speak. You know, the NCAA game. I, you know, on number one, and once again to uh, prove myself that um, prove, to prove to me that I can do this. And, uh, I always like that, those kind of challenges. And then, um, you know, so far so good. We, we, we've done very well, and we're hoping to keep doing it better. Yeah, and I see here uh, on the website, just for, for context for our listeners, uh, last season you went 13-3-3, and including an in-conference record of 9-2-2, two, and two, uh, finishing third in your conference. So obviously you're making uh, good strides and good improvements. Uh, what are your expectations for Emmanuel this season? Um, they're very high. I don't want, uh, <laughs> I don't want my, my opponents to know that we have a high expectation. But yes, well, well. We're very high. You know, we need to do better than we did last year. I mean, the goal is to always get better. So well, we went out there. We got some players that we think can help us. And uh, tomorrow they're going to start showing their stuff. And uh, God willing, no injuries. We should be out there as well. You know, competing with the best of them. Well, that's great. Uh, I have to ask too. Do you still follow the Revs uh, and Major League Soccer? And uh, if you do, what are your thoughts about uh, the Revs this season? Uh, I gotta be honest. I don't follow them a lot, but uh, I've been to uh, quite a few games because I bring uh, my, you know, I have a, a youth team here, youth club. It's called FC Blazers. So I bring them to to the stadium, or, or you know, it's what they call Revs Night, or, you know, stop by and we'll get together. So I've, I've done that quite a lot. I just did that in June or July this year. I'm trying to bring my girls, uh, my my college girls. I'm trying to bring them over. Hopefully uh, this September, you know, I bring them in for them to see the atmosphere. And then in terms of the team, and most of the time that we've been there, they won. So I, I like the fact that they win when I'm there. And, and the other stuff I don't know, I, I think the league has gotten better. I think uh, the league, it's a little bit more equal now. It's not like one team always doing it so it it, it takes on uh, it depends on who gets on a run and uh, you know and the arrangement and they they have bruce i've known bruce forever so uh, sooner or later they, they will uh, get that trophy which i know everybody in new england wants i was actually just about to ask you too how different do you think major league soccer is now from when now from when you played uh with your time with the revs and the fire you mentioned the the parody and you think it's a lot more even but are there any other major changes uh with the league that you see when you you look at major league soccer now well yeah that's a lot of changes so for example right now you have a lot of teams you know uh, back then it wasn't i think it was half of what they had now but now it's a lot of teams now with that brings in better players 
it has more players, better coaches, more good coaches. You know, so it, 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 that's why I tell a lot of bands now, I understand Messi is here. That was not the case back then. You know, you've had many, many people come and transition to, you know, but not to take anything away from uh, my days. My days had also had big internationals coming. You know, um, you know we, uh, each, each generation will say to you that their generation was the best thing since sliced bread. You know, but for me, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to be fair. I, I, I think they have more players this day and age than last, but uh, my time, we have a little bit better quality in terms of uh, the the maturity of the players. Another thing I'm curious too, because you've coached in college soccer, you played in college soccer, and and you know your your career obviously spans different decades. Uh, I, I want to get kind of your, the the same kind of question, but instead of MLS, just youth soccer and college soccer. How how much has it changed from when you played in the 80s to currently today? Uh, that's a very good question because I, I'm in the business right now. Uh, it's changed a lot in terms of temperament, right? Um, but way back in the 80s, things you say to them, you can't say now. The, the, the players will melt. You know, um, it, I, I think back in the 80s, those players are a little bit more driven because we didn't have the choices. Like, you know, like for, for example, in the 80s, we didn't have a professional league. So you, you had to make do with what you had. Now, they got league everywhere. You know, so it's it's a lot of differences, but now I guess more is better. Choices all over the place, but the different the, the disadvantage of that is it makes you not to uh, take things serious. You know, you take things for granted. You know, it players this year and age. You know, I don't know if you guys know what to talk about portal. You know, in in NCAs. You know, if a player doesn't play, start a game, they transfer. I mean. <laughs> So stuff like that in the 80s, no. it doesn't work that way. You commit, you commit. You got to go fight for it. You know, so that's a lot of the, uh, differences. But this, this is where we are right now. So you, you have to learn as a coach to adjust. You know, so I, I did, I'm not coaching the way I coached in 2000, early 2000 now. And, you know, I, I, they're different breeds. So you just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the women's game right now. I can't coach them the way I used to coach all my other girls team you know it's it's a lot different interesting very interesting uh, I'm, I'm curious too obviously MLS teams too are starting to build their academies too you play you you mentioned you coach with the Boston Bolts too uh, do you see MLS I know they're they're trying to basically build their own pipelines from academies to second teams to the first team do you think that's a great sign and, and progress of the sport uh, what, what's kind of your thought about MLS kind of going into that space of academies Oh, no, it's a great thing, but uh, that, that's just the beginning. You know, it's like everybody talks about academy, academy, and they want to tailor it like the academies in Europe, you know. But when you say academy, academy, you have to also back it up with parts, right? And you have to make it available for the ones that can't come in. That's a lot of steps. It, it's not just saying that you, you're you putting an academy together. You know, academy is, is meant to help the full team, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't see that yet. Where you a team, a, a team, for example, a team like Revs. I'm just using Revs as an example. A team like Revs will say, oh yeah, we have about six kids coming through from academy. They're gonna be in the first team, you know, stuff like that. And then not only bring them up, 
but you actually give the opportunity to show you know, stuff like that. Those are the steps that I feel that now that we established that kind of need, that's great. So what's next? Are we uh, are we going to uh, you know develop these these kids to give them uh, the opportunity to come through, and then when they come through, so they can perform and then keep the lead better, not just to have expansion, but to keep the lead better. A very good point. And I think the Revs are kind of at that point too. They have a lot of youth prospects that are up on the first team that are fighting for minutes too. So uh, I do have to ask you too, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you mentioned Messi coming to Major League Soccer. Uh, you're a two-time Revolution Defender of the Year. You're known for your one-on-one defending. How would you guard Messi? How would you shut him down? Well, unfortunately, I, I've got somebody that is a little bit better than Messi. His name is Maradona. You know, um, it, the, the thing is, uh, Messi, I don't know if you have a specific way you can defend him. You know, you, you just, I personally, I think you should be on him before he turns on you. You know, that's what good defenders do. If you uh, if you let fantastic force turn, you're done. You know, so, but again, it's not a one-man show. It's it's your team, right? If your team understands it, then you play according to what the coach says. But if it was a man, one-man show... Obviously, I'll be all over him wherever he goes, and that, that that's probably not realistic because yeah, it's a football game. The, the other ten players they gotta be doing stuff, but you can't sh- shut him down. Obviously, everyone has seen that, but you can slow him down. Yeah, that question was actually sent in uh, by MLS teams because they're still trying to figure it out. He's on a real <laughs> heater. <laughs> no, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> all right. We'll keep it a secret. We'll keep it a secret. Yes. Hey, uh, we got one more question here. We always end with this question, but, uh, and, and I'm curious to see what your answer is because, you know, you've done kind of everything you've played. Uh, you've played in Europe. Uh, you've played indoor soccer. You've coached the youth levels. You're now coaching at the college levels. What is your favorite soccer memory? It could be a game. It could be a play. It could be a championship. It could be something that happened in the locker room throughout your entire career uh what is the one kind of memory of soccer that um you know is your favorite throughout your career well i got uh, you have time i got buckets of uh, memories and good. you can give you can give us multiple we say one but you can you can give as many as you like well in all the levels that i've been to i have uh, i've won um the, the the only thing left right now is for me to win uh, maybe national title with my girls team right now at the moment um my favorite, I'll start with Emmanuel. Emmanuel wasn't good until we showed up, and now they're very competitive. Uh, I, I go back to winning the MLS Cup. You know, it, it's not just winning the Cup. We won the Open Cup, so we won double. The memories were unbelievable. Uh, my first uh, coaching sting in a youth, youth soccer, I won the national championship when you matter. You know, when you have very, 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 very good teams. You know, um, I have uh, produced uh, quite some players for MLS to, you know, that I, I coach. Um, uh, on, on the girls' side, I'm very, very happy that uh, I've coached a lot of girls that are going to have success, you know. Um, in, in college, at BU, the record is there to speak for itself. My only regret for BU, which I said loud and clear, was uh, not winning the national championship for them. And in Nigeria, you know, I played, uh, we've won so many. I mean, it's, uh, it's it, football has been real great for me. And, uh, you know, I don't take it for granted. 
that's why in my coaching, that's part of the stuff that people get from me. That I like, I like them to know that um, you can't take success for granted. That that can go out the window very quickly if you don't keep working. So, I have had many successes. So it's hard for me to choose one, but and then final but not the least, the hometown squad. I am so happy that uh, they didn't forget about me. I, I hear that when they when they talk about former MLS, uh, I mean uh, Revs players, that they always remember me. So stuff like that is important to me. That um, you keep a, a good legacy and a clean record going. I, I did have one last thing I wanted to bring back up because I think you mentioned when we talked about Messi, you mentioned that you defended Diego Maradona. When when was that? Well, Maradona, my first time of encountering Maradona was in uh, Australia when we did the U, U-17. Yeah, that, that was before you or anybody else knew who Maradona was. You know, uh, and he was, uh, he was ridiculous. You know, and then I think Messi uh, kind of tailored his game towards to, to Maradona. And they're very, very similar. Very, very, very similar. I think the only difference is that uh, Diego is a little bit more stockier. But he's also a craftsman, so that that was that, you know. And I caught him fresh when he was out of Argentina, looking to make a name for himself as well. Well, it was it was so great talking to you. You mentioned that you're still recognized by the Revolution. I should should note that we did a Revolution Best Eleven, I think, 13 years ago when I was running New England Soccer Today, and we interviewed the local media, and and you made the Revolution All Time Best Eleven back then. So you you certainly are well remembered in the Revolution history. We we really appreciate you taking the time today. Hope you have a lot of success with Emmanuel College Women's Soccer this year. Uh, thank thanks so much, Francis. Thank you, guys. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you guys. And uh, good luck in all you do. And then uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.